This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. This month, they ask the double clicks to help me say hi to John. Roderick on the Line. It's Roderick on the Line. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. I I, uh, I had some audio problems there, and then I realized what I had done is I had uh, muted, had muted the computer. Oh, mm. does that ever happen to you? <laughs> oh, I'm. I think it happens to all men. Yeah, yeah. I was watching the Young Ones mm-hmm. last night uh, on the uh, YouTube, and then I, I, I muted it uh, after a while. You just want because- to capture the the. <laughs> visual components of uh, of Vivian's shtick. Yeah, I muted it. I think because it didn't because it uh, because it wasn't as great as I remembered it being when in 1984. Yeah, that's a that's that's a tall order. Yeah, it's still it's still pretty manic. Did you watch University Challenge? I did. Yeah. Oh boy, that's got its yeah. moments though. You Laurie. You Laurie. You got uh, uh, you got uh, Emma Thompson. Yeah, Stephen Fry. Oh, Emma Thompson, isn't she wonderful? Mm-hmm. You got uh, you got uh, Motorhead. Yeah, Motorhead's there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, all the greats. And uh, isn't there an animated sock at one point? I think so. And there's a yeah, there are a few. There's an animated sock. The the washing machines rebel. But le- let's not talk about the young ones as much as I want to. But there's layers, you know. You got you got the you got you got the A story. You got to do laundry. You got a B story. University challenge, and you got a C story, which is Neil really really needs to use the toilet. Yeah. See? He keeps it in his buzzer. That's good stuff. Uh, hey, man. I really have to go. There's an episode of that show. I don't think it's that one, uh, but it might be. Is that the one? Where, and there was a, like, this very brief, like, 30-second flash where they all play each other. Yeah, that, that, that there is that, and it's wonderful. And it's, You've the, only ever heard the guy who plays Neil. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with stuff he's done outside of there. It's so weird to hear him not being Neil. Well, yeah, and uh, and Rick does such a fantastic impression oh, of Vivian. Of Vivian, that you're like, oh wow, that's just, oh wow, that was really good. You know, then that show actually did introduce me to Motorhead. I had no experience of Motorhead until 1984 or whatever when I saw Motorhead perform Ace of Spades on the Young Ones, and I said, whatever the hell kind of music that is, I want it. I want yeah, well, uh, I would go so far as to say that with the exception of, well, I see, I don't remember very well. I want to say Madness. With the exception of maybe like Madness, I don't think I knew any of the bands. Like the da- when the Damned were on there? When they were in their va- vampire-looking stage? Yeah, I knew about the Damned because I was a big fan of Captain Sensible. Oh, I, that's one of those names I just know from books. Captain Sensible was a member of the Damned, and he had a single very early on uh, an MTV single called Walt, W-O-T question mark. Hmm. Uh, the chorus to which went, I said, Captain. Uh, they, they said, Captain. I said, what? They said, Captain. Oh, I said, what? Yeah. Let me look at the video. Just, I said, Captain. I said, what? And then some other lyrics. Oh, and, it's weird. Uh, it's almost a little bit hip hoppy. Well, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's a little rappy, and he is walking around a sort of English... He's, in a hotel uh, uh, hallway? Well, I always thought it was public housing, but maybe it is a hotel. And uh, and I really I really connected with that song 
when I was 13 or 14. And so then, then I, then I learned about the damned backwards, which I guess is, you know, however you're going to do you it. You know, uh, <coughs> African-American and uh, Puerto Rican people in particular from uh, New York city get a lot of credit for hip hop. Mm-hmm. I don't think we give enough credit to all the white people that helped hip hop. Well, prison colon ensign and Prison colon ensign and That was, I mean, that's the Rosetta stone of rap. Let's be honest. Yeah, it goes. It you goes take your, you take your James Brown, you take your George Clinton, but l- let's be honest. Sure, it goes all the way back to a Italian comedian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who's making up, uh, who's making mouth sounds. But you know, so sure, I mean, he's he's where. Let's let's be honest. He basically created rap. Yeah. Um. But then, I mean, would rap have gotten big if it weren't for <laughs> Captain Cap- Sensible? If it weren't for um, Falco? Right. If it weren't for Blondie. Right, they really po- popularized the the genre. I think so. Yeah, yeah. They should. There should be like a baseball hall of fame, <laughs> except for the white people that really helped rap. Bitte, Conan Simmerswagen, though my parade. Well, sure. And what about? Uh, well, now I'm trying to think. <clears throat> did. Uh, <clears throat> Did uh, 99 Luft Balloons? Oh, that's such a rap song. Yeah, see. Uh, that's, uh, you know, just the Germans. Just the Germans and the Austrians alone that, that helped popularize rap. That's a really good point. I don't, think, I don't think white Germanic peoples get the credit that they deserve. Well, for most things, they don't. Well, that's true. That's right? true. They're very well organized. Think about how, think about the trains. Oh, sure, I do. I think about the trains. I know you. Hip hop would have gotten bigger if they'd spent more time uh, doing German versions of songs. Like you, 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 you take something, you know, like a rapper's delight. I think if they'd done that in German as well, apparently they did that like very quickly, you know, in like a take. Yeah. Well, you know? and it 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 shows given given the amount of technical uh, and vocal dexterity uh, that is required in contemporary rap. When you listen to Sugar Hill Gang, when you listen to the original original like formative rap tracks. <laughs> It really does feel like people are improvising some words. <laughs> and I think one of the dudes, like, I think his part was ghostwritten. I know this from probably a public radio show. Yeah. What, I, what I know about Rapper's Delight mostly, also, I think. Also, also something that really popularized rap, public radio. Well, I think, to be honest with you, I, think, I don't think public radio gets the credit it deserves. You're right. For making hip-hop as big as it, as it is. You, know? you, you have, you've opened a, uh, a whole line of inquiry. There needs to be a Netflix series about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Enough with the weed documentaries. Enough with the documentaries about food. How about a six-part documentary on the history of white people in rap music? Like your, like your crazy uncle? Yeah, here's my name, and I'm here to say, like at the wedding reception, you know? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I actually have... Um, this is awful, uh, what I'm about to reveal. But pre-Beastie Boys, I'm going to say 84, my friends and I had a rap group. Hmm. Wow, and that's er- that's early days. It, and this is this is terrible. But we were called the White Fresh Crew. The White Fresh Crew. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, we were Alaskans, right? It does, it does everything it says on the tin, <laughs> except for being fresh and being a crew. We were a crew. You could have just been the white. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that we spelt crew like Motley Crew. Oh, nice. Right, the White Fresh Crew. Mm-hmm. And what we didn't have. I'm not embarrassed about this, but it's hard. It maybe is hard to imagine. It's it's almost like a alternate universe door that we didn't step through. But we would on a Friday night go into my basement and 
beatbox. Oh dear. And rap to each other. Just and it was just the three or four of us, and we would we would uh, march in a circle. <laughs> Right, so we'd start walking, and then we would take turns improving, and and but we were, but we're marching right because because I, I I don't know maybe the maybe the look or the rhythm of like four guys standing in a circle, yeah. kind of moving their arms in a in a sort of like boom, you know, like yo 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 way. Maybe that hadn't evolved. You want it to yet? look more like a like a like a street corner and less like a circle jerk. You should have some motion. Uh, well, we were moving, right? Yeah, sure, we were sure. Like, you're marching. <laughs> we were marching in a, in a circle, and we were kind of we were we're doing the exact thing that we were wrapping into the center of the circle, right? We weren't marching like wrapping into the backs of our heads. We were wrapping into the middle, but we were we were in motion. It's got and, it's got that kind of uh, breakdancey vibe where you got people kind of shucking and jiving exactly. in a circle. That's yeah. a, that's right. That's right. And I, uh, we were, we were, uh, we, there was a breakdancing element, but none of us would, would, would necessarily try to, try to do any breaking. But, uh, you know, it was all rapping about, you know, we're the white fresh crew and we take no crap. We dish it out and it don't come back type of run DMC style, uh, rhymes. Yeah. I'll call it the one, two, three, four, five, five, six. six. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we did this. Uh, we did this for quite a while, as a as a sort of, you know, Friday evening, half rack of beer, and we were not. We were doing it out of a out of just pure enthusiasm for the style. So this was so we were fans of DMC and the Boogie Boys and and uh, this like first generation of popularized like rap music that had be- become popularized to to mainstream right well i mean let me ask you this i know you and i are famously fast and loose with dates and i'm, I'm not trying to pin you down can you just because it helps the story a little bit can you really mostly locate that in, in around 1984 because that would also be around the time of flash dance yeah which i mean so like the the, the the rap that i knew was like i knew the Apache song, I knew Apache, you know, I knew I knew the uh, the Rapper's Delight, I knew Rapture. I don't think I'd even heard Nucleus yet. Jam On It was the one that made me fall in love with rap. <laughs> jam On It. I love Jam On It. With the, with the little funny voice, wiki, 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 shut uh-huh. up, you know? Uh-huh. But, so, but 1984 was a big year, because that's, you've got, it was really crossing over into, like, there was videos, there was, there was famously, there was breakdancing in Flashdance. Right. Remember, she comes and she joins in with the kids. She's got that cute hat, and she she comes out and dances. Well, I think 1984 was the, was the year that rap broke. What was the year of the movie Breakin'? Uh, Breakin' Breakin' came out in Breakin' Breakin' Prime. Uh, and that's uh, uh, eighty four. Yeah, Breakin' came out in eighty four, and you know, and that's they should have done a second one of those. Well, they did Breakin' Two. Uh, da, 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 ba, breakin' Two Electric no, Boogaloo. You said it. You Electric said it. Boogaloo. It's the yeah. canonical second movie joke. Uh, Breakin, yeah, 1984. So Breakin came out, and I feel like, I mean, you know, again, we're talking about Anchorage, but this was the, this was the, I think the exact moment when Alaska, the, the culture in Alaska caught up to the culture in America, and now the two cultures were happening simultaneous. 
with one or contemporaneously, right? Up until that point, all of our television was on a was on a week delay because the Carson show would happen and then they would literally bundle the tapes up and fly them to Alaska and play them, you know, uh, play them the following week. Wow. So, but even worse than that, most cultural things, disco and so forth, like disco arrived in Anchorage in about 1980 or 79, right? It was, it It was, it was like time delayed. It was, it was time delay. All culture was sort of time delayed up there. And in some ways it still is. Cause if you get off an airplane in, in Anchorage now, it feels like it's 1994. I can tell you almost, I think I can tell you almost everything I know about Alaska in like four bullets. Mm-hmm. It's one of those two last States we strapped on. That's right. Okay. You got baked Alaska, which is a kind of state. fancy, fancy dessert. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Alaska is where, uh, where Santa lives, which is not actually correct. And you've got, uh, you've got that, uh, Everything, the, the footnote at the bottom of every commercial, uh, prices, something like prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Yeah, I don't think that even happens anymore. I think that's from the 70s, too. But that was always, I mean, every Sears commercial or whatever, and it started to seem like, oh, my gosh, what, what, what must be so difficult about that? Well, yeah, you have to put it on a sea land barge. But, but in 1984, right, we finally all had MTV, and, and it was happening. Cable TV allowed things to happen in real time. And so we were seeing what America was seeing. Oh, it's almost like time travel. It's almost like you skipped two years. Yeah, we did. It was just like, zoop, everything got really fast all of a sudden. And so we're, we were up there, formerly still really enthralled with Boston's second record. And then all of a sudden, like rap music descended upon us and, and new wave and punk and all sort of arrived at, at once in 80, 81, 82. So anyway, 84, yeah, we're up there. And and at that point, there wasn't any there wasn't any indication that uh that there would be white rappers. But but also there wasn't it was still sort of that mix of like there wasn't any indication that there would ever be a white Michael Jackson either, but it didn't keep us all from being Michael Jackson all the time. But it, like, so, at least from where I was, it was, <clears throat> it was uniquely located. I mean, and I learned in retrospect that there were many other, there's lots, there's lots more to it than the obvious stuff, but the stuff we knew about was, it was mostly black people in a very urban setting in New York, like maybe even in a identified as a borough of New York. I, well, see, that's in the seventies. <clears throat> I think by the early eighties, it had, it had disseminated, it had disseminated pretty widely. It was just that it didn't. I just mean in the, in the public eye. Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You mean to white people? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm here looking at the Wikipedia page for 1984 and hip hop, and you've got you got Run DMC, <clears throat> the first Run DMC record. You got Houdini, right? Also, <clears throat> 1984, the first Run DMC record, which which descended upon us like a like a thousand tons, right? That we we knew every word yeah. of that album. My my group of friends and I and what and what was crazy was when that Beastie Boys record came out, which was in '86, only a couple of years later. It was it was that weird feeling of like, well, wait a minute, we thought of this, like we were doing this exact thing. It could have been us. It could have been us. Yeah. It could have come from Alaska instead of three Jewish kids from uh, from the Lower East Side. It, we it could have been the Alaska Beastie Boys. And so there was a lot of, I felt a lot of 
sort of resentment to that first Beastie Boys record because it was almost exactly what we would have done, right? Whiny, <laughs> drinky. Like you would have essentially helped to uh, liven up and re- refresh the genre with a whole new spin and 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 production like nobody had ever heard before. Well, but it, it, it like thematically, right? The Beastie Boys did not try to be anything that they weren't. Oh, right. Yeah, they were just like we are. Snot nosed kids. We're snot nosed kids, and these songs are about masturbation and drinking beer and aspiring to be to be cool and that that's you know that was kind of the that was what was cool about them but that is also what would have been cool about the white fresh crew crew uh did, did it, it have a diuresis john i don't know what yeah. do you mean oh i'm sorry did it have like an umlaut over the u oh yes it did okay it did uh i mean we didn't we spent a lot more time drawing album covers for the truly awful band which was which was our other music act the truly awful band and the white fresh crew were pretty much the same members and the same and the same era it was a lot easier to oh, draw it's a Duke's a stratosphere type situation yeah exactly exactly yeah. we were the uh we were the head coatees as well as being the head coats oh uh-huh huh. uh but but alas neither neither Act. I mean, the the truly awful band actually played a couple of shows. Oof. I think the uh, I think if we if, if our rap, I think maybe we we tried to rap at a party once where our where our female uh, component was there, female component of my gang. Yeah, and uh, the the girls in my gang were were stronger than the boys, as as is so often the case. And they scorned us. We started to rap in a circle. Oh, that must have hurt. We got got scorned pretty hard. So we stopped doing that. We stopped doing it publicly. I think we kept doing it amongst ourselves for a while. The other problem was I don't think we ever wrote our raps down. um, Because we understood it to be an extemporizing game. It's it's an oral tradition. That's right. And Mm -hmm. so we never sat like like, uh, Eminem in the bus scrawling our rhymes in a notebook we just we just let let them go into the air so if you got it if you well, it'd be like it would be like writing a short story about touch football like no you would just go out and play touch football you wouldn't write about it like yeah precise more yeah uh so it was it was if you if you scored a good a good little bon mot as they say <laughs> as they say in rap and rap uh <laughs> you would just everyone would acknowledge it with like uh-huh uh-huh but then it's not like you would try and grab it and, and put a leash on it and drag it back to earth. Also, you're very, <laughs> you're very at least in the times I've known, you're we're more prosaic. Mm-hmm. There's a I'm not to say that you're not capable of of short blasts of, of spitting rhymes, as they say, but uh, you know you're more of a long form uh, polysop polysyllabic kind of guy. Well, and this was your, what, your this flow. Is... Your flow works on a five thousand word level. This is what I mean about stepping through a, a, a stepping through a, a, a door to another thing, right? There are all those moments when you look back in life and go, if that had, because it absolutely resonated with me, it connected with me and with my friends. If we had felt just that little bit more liberty to, to say, this is actually something that I really want to do. You know, you step through and then maybe I would have become somebody that because it, when I several years later, 
I was living in a house where all of my roommates were rappers and sat around rapping all the time. But by that point, I understood that I was not, that was not, I was not basically invited to sit down at, at the, on the couch and, and rhyme with everybody. Like my job at that point was to roll joints and not appreciatively. Um, but, you know, it could have been so much different. Oh, you're okay. I see. Huh. Maybe I could have been a, maybe I could have, uh, 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 decided that that was where I was going to pour my creative. The eighties are the golden age of, we talked about this before the extra guy in the band. You could have a professor Griff, like who's there to give you some, uh, some philosophical guidance. You got the dancing guy in happy Mondays. Maybe, uh, John's the guy who rules the joints. Yeah, but I would have wanted a more featured role, right? I mm, mean, I, maybe you could roll him on stage. I see. I liked to be the guy at a party that rolled joints. I really did. It, it gave me an activity. I could sit at the I could sit at the coffee table right in the center of the party. Right, you're right there. You're right in the heart of it. Yeah. You, but you've got a job, and it's an important job. You're somewhere and, between a sommelier and a magician. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, people are going to. You don't have to do any. You don't have to talk. You don't have to do anything because you're rolling joints. But you can. And if you start talking, everybody's going to like. It's like H and R Block, right? You're going to. Everybody wants to. You're, you're only busy for a couple months a year. Yeah, everybody wants to hear what you've got to say. Because oh, you're the sure, guy Smith, Smith Barney. That's rolling the. Uh, yeah, Mr. Barney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smith Barney was that kind of wine cooler, right? Yep. Yep. yep anyway, Smith, Smith Barney and James. So I would just. I mean, but you're also you're showing off your expertise, mm-hmm. right? To roll a joint is a thing that requires a certain a certain amount of. I'm not just finesse, but like to roll a good joint, and I could roll a good joint. Hmm. Every one you, you get done and just sort of, you know, you do that thing where you tip it up. So now the joint is pointing up in the air so everyone can see it. You're like, almost, it is a reveal, a magician's reveal. Yeah. Voila. Voila. And then, oh, everyone starts salivating. They can't wait to get their hands on this joint. But maybe you don't hand it to somebody. Maybe you put it down on the coffee table. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you, you know, maybe you lay out three or four of them before you start handing them out. So that everybody can see that they're uniform, that each one, you know, that they that they're a beautiful match set. Mm. So that was the job that I really appointed. I, I appointed myself that that job, and of course, I never had the pot, right? The I didn't bring pot to the party. Oh, I didn't have any money, right? But but so the person that had the pot could also convey to the room that they were a big enough deal that they didn't need to sit rolling joints, right? They had the pot. And so rolling the joints allowed me then to have some ownership over the weed so I didn't have to stand there like a goofball and be like, hey, you going to pass that over here? Yeah, you're, well, you're certainly you're adding value. I've added value. That's mm-hmm. precisely it. So the guy with the pot is like, Are, you know, I'm too big a deal to to be rolling joints. That's, a, that's yeoman's work. Uh, but... But then I, you know, having rolled the joints, I was entitled at least to take a, you know, to take one of those joints for myself, mm-hmm. right? You know, you roll five, slip one in your pack of cigarettes and, and everybody feels right. Everybody feels right about it. This is, this is all going in my Moochers Bible. Mm, that's a when good I, idea. When I finally write the Moochers Bible. You can do that as an ebook. No, I'm thinking it's like something to be in uh, airport bookstores, something you read on an airplane, or, or like a survivalist Bible, like like you, like a Doctor Strange Love Bible, like you get like a like a tiny little uh, what's called the Moochers what? 
The Moocher's Bible, yeah. Moocher's Bible, and, and that could, it could be very small. It could, it could slip into a wallet. It should, or, or certainly in the sh- in your shirt pocket. It should be about the size of a pack of cigarettes. And it should be uh, inexpensive enough to replace because your friend's probably going to steal it from, from you because, let's be honest, they're a moocher. Well, sure. I mean, you're probably going to try and steal it from the bookstore in the first place. Yep. But uh, the, the, the only problem, I think, is that a lot of, my, a lot of the tenants in the moocher's Bible aren't really applicable anymore. Oh, nobody smokes. Well, yeah. What are you going to do? Go walk up to somebody on the street and ask for a cigarette? They cost a dollar each now. Yeah. So, yeah. And, who, and they've gotten I, they've gotten really costly. That's and yeah. the vaping the vaping's not such a bargain anymore either. San Francisco is coming down hard on the vapors. Uh, you mean they're taxing vaping? Well, uh, like at my daughter's school, there's a sign right out front that says "No smoking" and yes, no vaping either. And it's right. got one of those big robot cigarettes, so you can say like like here, don't do that, don't do that. Either. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the question with vaping isn't so much, I don't think, that that it's, you know, you can no longer do it on airplanes or whatever, but more that you cannot, you can't mooch a toke off somebody's vape, can you? It seems like a very personal can item. Can you mooch a toke off somebody's vape? I don't know. The kids I see in our neighborhood who have the very sophisticated looking ones, they yeah. look they look kind of like a, like a Zenith remote control from 1977. Yeah, something that you would see with, in with the, a cantina, dildo on it? the cantina scene uh, in uh, the original Star mm-hmm. Trek. The original Star Trek, where they uh, were there listening to uh, Benny Goodman and vaping. Yeah. I don't know if you could took another fellow's vape. Also, they, they have a lot of fruit flavors. I think there's a lot of variety to, to the vaping today. It used to be you got, uh, you know, Marlboro or, or Camel. Well, and, and now you, you can have any, any kind of flavor you want. You had menthol, though. People's menthol smoking is a purely defensive tactic. I, I know you this, think I that. learned this from people. I know you think that, and it's true. If you smoke menthols, people don't want to bum cigarettes from you. But uh, there, but people claim that the menthol is an additional thing you get addicted to. I believe it. So now you don't even want to smoke a normal cigarette. You, you actually, put anything in your mouth enough, eventually you're going to want it there. But you price your if you get into menthol smoking in order to keep people from bumming cigarettes. You price yourself out of ever bumming a cigarette from anybody else. So uh-huh. in the end, what started off maybe as a defensive technique ends up biting you in the ass. Because mm. you don't by, hoist it. it by your own petard. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You go to a bar and you're like, hey, can I have one of those? And oh, shit, it's just a Marlboro. Like, I need to go dip that in a candy cane mm-hmm. because <laughs> I can't enjoy a cigarette that doesn't taste like a fresh breeze on a, on a cool mountain day. But I'm I'm curious about whether and, I, and maybe some of our vaping listeners will uh, will chime in on this. Yeah. But if you're hanging out uh, around, standing in a circle, maybe doing some marching and some some rapping, mm-hmm. everybody's presumably got their own va- vape cigarette, right? You don't take a toke and and pass it on. It's not like a bong. Right, so it's a, it's a big part of there's a whole identity thing to it. When I see these kids in their sportswear, they usually have their sunglasses on the back of their neck, and they're walking around making vapes. Yeah, vaping. Vapes. Sometimes they got an energy drink. The other thing I notice a lot about vapors is uh, they do that leg thing, that shaky leg thing. Remember when you're a teenager and you got energy and your legs always in motion? They oh. seem very keyed up. The vapors, and you can really identify them. You I know? think that's the energy drink. Oh, I know. I mean, <laughs> you know, at a certain point, I don't, I'm not sure you can even separate them. The vaping and the energy drink. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like a lifestyle. It feels like a, like a whole kind of community college lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have a vibe, little bit of a CC vibe. Uh, well, it always did, but I, but I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of uh, urban sophisticates now, 
well, let's not call them sophisticates, mm. but urban people that I would normally, that I would normally in the past have seen smoking cigarettes, which is a universal indication that you are, that you are cool and rock and roll. Right. There are still a lot of those people actually smoking cigarettes, burning cigarettes, which I, which I can't, I can't fathom. I was walking through the cool neighborhood yesterday and I was like, my God, people are still smoking cigarettes. They're, first when of I, all, when I'm in Manhattan, I noticed that. There's yeah. pe- people still, I mean, I don't know if it's still true now. Last time I was in Manhattan, I was struck by how many people still smoke. Still smoking cigarettes. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not here to, I'm not here to judge, but I mean, that's, that does, it, that, you don't see it as much around here for sure. Let's be honest. You are judging. No, I'm not. I'm judging the vape people hard. Um, and I want to distinguish. First of all, uh, I just want to say, I don't want to talk about this. Please don't email me about this. Please don't tweet me about this. I don't want to be persuaded about vaping. Please right. keep it to yourself. Um, let me let me just criticize you uh, on, on my own, please. Sure. Uh, it's, it's one it's thing your that, right. it's, it's your one right thing to have, a podcaster. That's my right. It's one thing to go out, I, I you know, and I, I'm not, I don't, I don't care, but like I'm distinguishing between, you, you, there's a smoking over here. There's a va- the, then there's like, you could buy the disposable ones that look like cigarettes. Right. That's they, that's really they look down. The vapors look down on that. That's real kid stuff. Oh, really? There are there are vapes that are disposable that look like cigarettes. Yeah, they're awesome. They're not they're not one hitters. No, Remember the one hitters that look like cigarettes. Those yes. are pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Not super cool, but no, but they had their purpose. And then you got the ones that are more like what I would call the Ethernet wizard cigarette. And yeah. that's more like the little one that looks like you're playing a flute. Yeah, that that's I think those the, the serious vapors now carry this thing that looks I haven't paid a lot of attention to it, but I see them sometimes in the neighborhood. They're unavoidable. And it's it's a little bigger than, like I say, like a Zenith remote control. I want to say it's a little bit smaller than the gyro mechanism you would use for a, a remote, remote control plane. Oh, I it's see big. It's big. I mean, if it's like the size of a Walkman. What and I think that, of when that's I got s- a big butt plug coming out of it that you, you, you toke on to, to, to make your vapes. Yeah, when I see that, I always think of that episode of um, episode of the one show uh, where Fry gets the magic. Uh, he gets the devil hands. He gets the robot devil hands. He and the devil switch hands. Okay. Right, and the devil wants human hands, and 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 uh, he offers Fry the the. The uh, robot hands, devil hands. Fry gets the devil hands, and then suddenly he can play the uh, the magic flute that conjures images. Right? If you that's a complicated f- plot for a half hour show. Well, yeah, but that's the thing. They got done uh, making the Simpsons or whatever, or didn't maybe get done making the Simpsons, but same people, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think it's the same. Uh, it started out as the same. Roughish team, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, a lot it's a fun of show. It's a fun show. A lot of smarts there, mm-hmm. but anyway. So he's playing the uh, he's playing the the magic flute, and it conjures up these images of of uh, him dancing with Leela, and he wins Leela's heart. But then at the end, he doesn't he doesn't consummate consummate the uh, relationship with Leela because that's basically the that would ruin the show. The whole show would end. Yeah, that that that's the Sam and Diane moment. So that's the Sam and Diane moment. That's yeah. right. And at that point, at that point, Diane has to. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, so Fry is playing this uh, crazy electric flute with his uh, devil robot hands, mm-hmm. and that is I cannot not see that when I see people vaping on the street. I just feel like it's, it's, the but I, it's, same it's thing. yeah. Okay, I get you. But to me, it's almost like the way I used to feel watching people use a BlackBerry, where. Before and even in the early days of the iPhone, a lot of people were still always using their Blackberries, and they were talking about like how much they loved using their Blackberries. But nobody, I've never seen anybody look happy using a Blackberry. Uh, and pe- people who are vaping, 
they, they look like they're like, I don't know, ashamed of what they're it's, doing. It's which dutiful. They well, they should be. I mean, it's real silly. Uh, nothing against it. I mean, keep doing it, have fun. But it, is, it does look very silly. I think I think some of that might be that we just do not live in that suburban or that exo city, the the edge of a city where people aren't oh. influenced by the city. As you're talking much about, an, are you talking about an exurb? An exurb. That's you're right. saying you're saying you're at a uh, an umbrella table outside the Quiznos by the old Starbucks, and you're vaping it up. I'm, I think that as you leave this, if you're in the center of the city and you are, and your pants are riding low and you are vaping and you have a white baseball cap on backwards, mm. people in the city recognize you as uh, from elsewhere. But as you move further and further out of a city, you reach a borderland where, where all the cultures interact, right? And you can be out there in that borderland making alternative theater. Because that's a because you can't oh, afford it's a, diff- the space. it's a different kind of stew. It's the children of, of people who work at Costco meeting with the children of people who work at Sam's Club, and they're all they're all they're all meeting together, and it's a great goulash, a cultural goulash. Well, yeah, I mean, especially now that cities are too expensive to live in, right? We're Ugh. seeing we're seeing the uh, we're seeing the the downtown culture makers moving out as the exurban uh, uh, children uh, characters move in. And you get into this weird realm where people are vaping ironically and right next to people who are vaping very earnestly. And you go... (laughs) The earnest vapors. Right. I can't tell the one from the other now. I mean, there are people who vape and it's very cool. They make it look cool and and it it communicates... Is that that the word you want? Well, what is cool anymore, Merlin? I don't know Could you see Miles Davis? You could see Miles Davis doing that. I think that the next Miles Davis mm-hmm. is right now probably a 16-year-old vapor. Mm, Miles Davis 2.0. Well, probably by now 4.0. Boy, yeah, like uh, Miles Davis X. Miles oh, that'd be pretty X. good. Miles Davis X, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure. But what, I think it would just be Miles X. Miles X, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think that there, I think vaping's here to stay. And I think it only looks ridiculous to us. But in a very short amount of time, it will just be as natural to... To the young people, as anything, much more natural than cigarettes. Cigarettes are going to look like some. Oh well, they're, they're going to make the nineteen. Yeah, they're going to make the fifties look like the seventies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm also I, I agree with you about people having to move out of the cities. I, I'm interested in what happens within the next what, what probably two years, where everybody cool is going to live outside the city. Everybody who lives in the city is going to be a douchebag who who's make, who makes apps. What's right. what's the opposite of a bridge and tunnel crowd, right? What, what if we get to where people are going, they're going out to the exurbs because that's where the good skate ramps and the vapes are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I feel like it'll continue to be called bridge and tunnel. It'll mm-hmm. just be bridge and people taking bridges and tunnels to get out of the downtown core rather than go into it. Hmm. It's a different, it's the, whole, uh, it's the whole white flight premise, but not in reverse, but sort of in reverse. Hmm. Like fleeing, not... Not fleeing from the decline of the inner city because it has become uh, like dangerous and uh, and decaying, but fly, fleeing from the inner city because it's intolerable, mm-hmm. tolerably smug. Oh man, that's that's 
that's going to be a trend piece. That's going to be a trend piece in the next couple of years. I well, mean, you already, you already see it. Like in our local uh, paper coom website, it's, there's already like there's a huge amount of the front page that goes. Can you believe what somebody is selling this teardown for? Yeah. And then there's the, the of course the the component piece to that is. But if you move to you know uh, Dublin or Pleasanton, you can get a six thousand acre ranch for nine dollars. Yeah, Pleasanton. Pleasanton. It's on the Bart. I think you know. I think that that honestly. Right, the 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 last twenty years has has seen the, or let's call it the last thirty years, saw all this you know these mega mansions or mick mansions. They're mick mansions, kind of gross, over large houses with three story atrium. And then the, the cheaper, atria. the cheaper uh, knockoff version, the mansion kings. Mansion king, um, and they're all. I haven't out seen there. mansion chef in years. I you know I, I I don't have a TV yeah but uh but out there in these like manicured uh, neighborhoods with these over large homes and now nobody wants to live in them anymore but I think we're gonna see an exodus of people from the city who will move out there and find that that they can get these huge huge homes with a, like seven right. bedrooms super cheap. Where the where they sell they sell at way under market value to get out. Yeah, it makes it available. Goes on the market. Oh, yeah. that's super interesting. And then these neighborhoods are suddenly going to become vibrant places because these homes are going to have like three different families like, living yeah, in exactly them. Yes, generations of different families. It's going to become the equivalent of. I mean, I, that would be so great. You could have yeah. three different families living in one of these giant, giant houses, and they're just—they're really using the pool. They don't just have yeah. the pool as a thing to clean. There's that's like right. sixty kids in the pool. <laughs> that's right. And, or maybe it's like, like, an, it's like an ad hoc apartment building. Maybe nine, uh, nine like uh, like uh, scream poets will all move into one <laughs> mega mansion out in the suburbs, and uh, and you know then you're going to start seeing like interesting sculptures appear in the yard. I mean those those neighborhoods could are ripe to be colonized by uh by this like cr- by the creative class that can no longer make make a theater in in warehouses. Mhm. So I'm excited about that and I wonder I wonder I mean maybe there'll be life on those streets maybe there'll suddenly be kids riding their riding their uh unicycles or whatever kids ride. Oh, you get, and, get get a recumbent bike or or a ho- hoverboard. Yeah, it'll be like it'll it will literally make the 2020s look it, it look like the 50s. Mm. The 2020s are mm. going to make the 2010s look like, like the, the 1990s. Uh, and the 1990s are going to make the 2020s look like the 50s. Oh man, it's a lot of colons. So, I mean, uh, uh, you know what as as uh, parents of of young kids, we yeah. might start to think about like, hey, let's go out there Buy one of those uh, mega mansions that has like two gold lions on the steps. Yeah, and uh, you know, and move in, and then suddenly the master—you've got a master bedroom that's like fifteen hundred square feet, and uh, your kid has a has their own bedroom, but also their own den. Ugh. and you can roller skate in the living room. You can make one of the rooms into just like a, like a jungle playroom. Jungle playroom. You could you could hire a local maker. Yeah, somebody with a hot glue gun and a book, they could come out and they could they could make a jungle inside one of the rooms the kids could play in. Here's what else I'm thinking. I'm thinking, uh, let's let you take it and you turn it. You buy a mansion, a former uh, you know mansion king, yeah. and then you 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 trick it out however you want, and then uh, you buy a Google bus. 
And that way, now you've got a cheap way, easy way to get people in and out of, of the city. You can still go to the city uh-huh. if you need vape supplies or, or work. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it's a lot easier than having to own a bunch of cars. And, and, you know, it's one thing to have sculpture on the lawn. I think we don't want cars on the lawn. No, that's true, see? But, but, but cars are going away, Merlin. I know, I know, yeah. but one, one, one Google bus, especially, you know, you could run it on French fry grease or, or uh, sun. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying there's economies of scale here. Everybody kicks in a little bit. You could buy a Mansion King pretty, pretty cheap, probably. You're, now, you, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse of uh, e-commerce and mm. uh, entrepreneurship. I, I would like more. to think I do, yeah. yeah. So tell me, are we closer to, I know I'm gonna, we're going to get a lot of letters about this from John Syracuse. Syracuse. Mm, but uh, are we closer now to the paperless office? Are we closer to people just working from home? Or do people continue to need to come into the city where they have free Fruit Loops in a giant Fruit Loop dispenser as one of the perks of their open plan office, beanbag chair office? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are people going to continue to come in for the Fruit Loops and the beanbag chairs? Or are the engineers one day going to completely rebel and say, listen, as an engineer, I no longer need to ever wear pants again. Yeah. And I'm just going to code from the enormous beanbag sex chair that is the only item of furniture in my in the entire mega mansion and now you got the lamborghini poster the lamborghini poster and the and the enormous beanbag chair mm-hmm. and they're just in there just coding they've got like six screens they get their own fruit loops dispenser oh nice they never need to come into the city at all it, are we closer to that or is there is there something about that the uh is there something about the proximity to one another, um, the the stand up desks and the uh, and the conference rooms mm-hmm. that make going into San Francisco necessary for 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 commerce? Do you want the honest answer or the funny answer? I want the honest answer. It has existed already for a long time. There's a lot of people. There are a lot of companies that, when they started, that's how they started. They started with people working remotely. One of the big problems with trying to introduce all this revolutionary bullshit into companies is that it works against the principles upon which the company was started, and it works directly at odds with the culture that's kind of it's been the nascent culture since the place started. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it, it, it's almost like think of a, a family. Like a, a passive aggressive Western family, a uh, Midwestern family who like sees a movie uh, where the family likes each other and say, okay, from now on, we're all going to like each other. Uh-huh. It's like, well, that's easier said than done because this is the way we've always acted. It's hard to just, you don't get to hit a reset button and terraform your family. Right. And so I think that's one. So on the one hand, uh, I think it always has existed for some companies. I mean, I, I've worked with companies where everybody's on contract and all but like three people work remotely. And so, but then there's, then the other part of that is that I think, and this is this you didn't ask for the funny answer, so this is what you get. I think yeah. also people like to I think there's a certain way of managing there's a certain way of managing where it's definitely easier to have everybody in a room. But honestly, it's also sometimes easier to collaborate with people in a room, even or especially with things like engineers. You get a lot more accomplished when you can be face to face with somebody. So so this idea Okay, let's let, okay, let's think about this. But I mean, so there's still lots more to that. You can still have things like you can still have, like have the occasional like weekly meeting or the stand up. But everybody's trying different things. Every, well, that, there's nobody who says I want. There's nobody anymore who says I want the kind of job I think my grandparents had. No, I don't want a job where I have to go and like sit in a big building with artificial light and windows that don't open and just and and sit around and do this boring job. Nobody wants that. It's just that there isn't any easy way to say that what what is. If you don't want that, then what do you want? Because there's complexities. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, like my, what I'm trying to imagine is, let's let's 
let's picture one of these exurbs, one of these McMansion villages, and let's say that it becomes a colony, right, where everyone who lives in that neighborhood is an engineer. Oh. So they're all working offshore for different oh, it's companies. A, it's literally a village. A village. A, you got a shoemaker. You got yeah. a barber. You got yeah. a uh, you got a, a mercantile. You got all these people, and they work together and with each other. You're saying here, this is the same thing. It's literally a village. It's just over here. You got a pro programmer. Over here, you got a MySQL person. You got a full stack uh, person here, right? XHTML. XHTML. Exactly. Right? This guy over here is doing ironic eight bit animations. <laughs> Uh, for people who have decided that the cool websites are throwback websites, and then I think a lot of those McMansion neighborhoods, in the in, in as they were building them, they were trying to create, trying falsely to create a feeling of community, and so they would actually build like community centers where they that had barbecues and stuff that where they imagined that people would congregate for that feeling of togetherness. Completely failing to understand that that the premise of constructing those whole neighborhoods was that no one wanted to interact with each other at all. You would park your Lexus three hundred in the in the garage. Your you, car you don't even want to. You don't even want to get out of your car outside. You no, want to no, get no. into the garage, close the garage door, and then get out. That's right. So, but now we're picturing a colony of engineers all living together, and they do they do use the uh, the communal space as an office, communal office. And a communal like gathering point where they're sharing ideas. They're they're uh, you know they're uh, showing their stuff, and their kids are all around them. And then all of a sudden, and the Google bus only comes. The Google bus comes every day because that's the Amazon Prime bus now, hmm. which comes and delivers all the groceries and all the supplies that everybody is. Oh, that's at. so efficient. That's right. You don't and need so, four different services to you know kind of trickling in throughout the day. You do a big. You do it's like uh, it's like Escape from New York. The helicopter comes and drops the supplies. Yeah, it's a semi. It's actually a lot drives. like Escape from New York, John. Uh, that's the thing. It becomes not a walled city because mm -mm. if you want to come, it's open, right? But you would never need to leave your neighborhood, and it could become like a think tank, right? This would, you, the, it would be like uh, it would be like in the original movie Tron, where the the beam of light of the master control program is beaming up out of these neighborhoods, and all of the engineers that do all the engineering for the entire city of San Francisco are just living together. Hmm. And then you've got your alternative theater neighborhood over here. You've got your entrepreneur neighborhood where the entrepreneurs who are self-conscious about their money want to live in a kind of McMansion house that maybe they once upon a time would have lived in as a serious mansion house. Yeah. But now that the mansion houses are are seen as like middle-class collective homes, they actually want to move into them as a way of of camouflaging their wealth, but they or, still you know, want to be might, around you entrepreneurs. You might keep an, an ironic McMansion. You know, you might want to keep one around ironically. Oh, let's call it a Mac Mansion. It's not a Mick Mansion anymore. It's a oh, Mac Mansion. It's a Mac. <laughs> right? So the, mm -hmm. so the entrepreneurs actually still have their 8,000 square foot warehouse in San Francisco. But now they realize that, they're, that they have to slum out in the suburbs where all the action is. They're mostly, like I saw this thing, somebody, a friend of mine posted this thing the other day. It's this way of, uh, it's like a pod you can get from for your backyard for a home office. It's actually super cool. It's the kind of thing you would see like at a, you know, in the 1970s. It's a very comfortable, like mostly glass, 
thing that can just get dropped in your backyard and you can do your business right in the backyard. I mm-hmm. can see people living. I think this is a popular trend right now. Is the, what yeah. do they call it? The micro house or whatever, the mini yeah. house. You, micro mini live, house. Yeah, yeah, micro mini house. It would be like uh, bunk beds and a gas stove. Yep, yep, and, yep. But you get to find this stuff. You get some horizontal slots, slats, you know, so you can dwell it out a little bit. You know, so so now that now would be we, the primary place. You wouldn't live in the Mac Mansion or the Mick Mansion. You would now you would we have the live, Mac Mansion, right? Yeah. And then we have all the micro pod pods in the. So they start off in the backyard, but then people realize what are we hiding from? This is our community. So then the pods start start popping up in people's front yards, and then oh. the pods then the pods become a separate network, a separate like network of of. Uh, like a like a, a another another connective layer of brain that's that's within the Mac mansions, and then the first one shows up inside a Mac mansion in the atrium, in the front oh, entry hall. Oh, and you could put them in a circle. It would be uh, Foucault would call it the opposite of a panopticon. You could have a, a a nonopticon. You could have all of them facing toward the middle of the village where the campfire is. You could have all the little uh, glass facing in the same direction, right? Well, and then it becomes one of those mirrored po- polyopticon, uh, the the mirrored uh, solar powered energy collector, mm-hmm. where they're all arranged in a circle and they're reflecting the sunlight or the brain waves mm. to a central hub to the MCP to the MCP. Mm-hmm. So it's generating ideas. It's generating power. It's probably generating bandwidth. It, it's almost unlimited bandwidth at this point. Mm. So, and this we're talking about Mac mansions now. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the trend. This is the way it's going because at that point, yeah, you like the wide open space, you like the boulevards, you like the the uh, the the f- like f- uniformly tree lined streets. There's not as much there's not as much to go awry. Unfortunately, those houses are mostly stapled and glued together, so I don't think they're going to last forever. That's okay. That's okay. This is a new generation, John. We, we don't want to bring our old thinking. They don't. This isn't colonial uh, Williamsburg. We're right. talking about people who have no belongings. Right. They have Spotify, and uh, they maybe have a laptop that they share. <laughs> so as the houses... as the, They're, they're in know, the cloud, John. These people are in the cloud. They are. So they're living in the cloud. Living in the cloud. But I think there's going to be a magic moment where these homes that are made out of pressed particle uh, substances, they're, right now they're off-gassing, right? That's the phrase. They are off-gassing, meaning that all of, the, all of the chemical glues that are holding the homes together are still gassing they're still turning to gas mm-hmm. and and poisoning you and your children but there'll be a moment where they stop gassing because they've get off gassed all the gas ah. and then they start absorbing moisture right those surf those those uh, building components are going to start swelling they're going to st- all your breath and all of your perspiration i see yes and, yes there's a lot of moisture in the home right so there's going to be a perfect moment between the off-gassing and when the houses start to swell with perspiration, where they're in stasis, right? They're they're like it's the it's their perfect it's their perfect state, and that will be the moment. You know, for whatever two years that period is, that will be when to go in there, colonize those spaces, okay, use them to generate entrepreneurship. And then, uh, and then when the buildings start to fall down, when the moss, the black mold starts to form in the corners. Maybe you have a, like a Detroit-style hell night mm-hmm. where you just one night you just take your beanbag chairs, 
You uh, you take your uh, Lamborghini posters, you put them all on a on an Amazon bus, yeah, and you burn the entire neighborhood down. Yeah, you can have like the purge, and you gotta. It's like uh, it's like uh, Clemenza says, right? You gotta have a war every few years. That's right. And get rid of the black mold, and then you could just extrude a new house again, terraforming, and you could just well, deter- you could you extrude a new house where the old. Because by then, I take your point though. By the time you get rid of the deadly part or the poisonous part of the uh, of the particle board, you're also introducing a problem. The performance characteristics are already degrading. So you got right. maybe maybe two years. Who knows how much the gas was holding the whole thing together? Yeah, and then, then you're like the end of uh, uh, Road Warrior Two, Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> where you all get into a, a motley caravan of Google buses and uh, electric cars, and you're towing your little pods, your pod bang bang, chitty bang bang, and <laughs> and you head off, and the homunculus is there. <laughs> Give us the oil. Uh, oh. and, and then head off into the desert to create a, you're you're looking for the next utopia <sighs> the next mac mansions mm. we can dream like, can't we i feel like this is the way and i just want to live long enough to see this happen yeah <laughs> because at this point you know we're both going to be the old crotchety geezer with the uh with the i don't forget what kind of hat he was wearing what was it a uh like a napoleon hat or something hmm? not well i don't know is that some mad max thing i think it's a mad max thing yeah, but we could, we, you know, also to refer to your program, you like, we could also just be a head in a jar at that point. You know what I mean? We could I see what be, you're saying. Yeah, you know? arguing with Richard Nixon on the on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, that's a funny bit. I don't want to. You, you seem you seem a little bit dismissive of uh, of the uh, the show with Fry and Leela. I like it a lot. It's been banned from the house. Um, oh, really? There was just a little bit too much, uh, you know, inside words. And uh, oh, situations, it get, it's a little saucy, and so racing, in, a, in yeah. a fit of pique, uh, my wife banned it. I see. I see. My daughter was extremely into it, though. I and have... we still, we still have, you know, we keep a long list of about sixty pet pet names we keep keep around. She still really wants to name something Lord Nibbler. Lord Nibbler. Lord Nibbler is pretty cute. Sure, he's the little nibbler that eats everything, right? <clears throat> he's adorable, and his poop is isn't that what runs the ship? Oh, right, right. His little infinitely dense poops. Could be. I when that show came out, I was not interested in it at all. But then I saw it in reruns, mm-hmm. or syndication they call it, and uh, and I and I and I and I did like it for for several years. And then I didn't have a TV anymore. And it's so, a great hotel room show. That's right. It's that's, one of those ones like yeah. There's certain kinds of shows I would never. I wouldn't say I'd never watch, but I wouldn't make make special appointment viewing time for. But yeah. like if it's on a hotel room, it's like it's really good. It's not a thing that you're gonna it, it, as you're scrolling through Netflix. And seeing one million movies that you never knew existed and never will watch, you'll see the the Fry and Leela show, and you say, "Oh, isn't that good? That's on yeah. Netflix." And it seem it strikes you as a positive, but you're not going to watch it either. Like the whole point of Netflix is to scroll and scroll and scroll endlessly and never watch anything. Yeah, and especially they just dump some new stuff in the last few days. It's kind of overwhelming. You know what I learned? I don't know if this is true, but a couple people have told me this. You said, "Do you have the Netflix?" Well, I did. Okay, but then, you're familiar with the what it what it is. Yeah, but I was just going to tell a very short story where yeah. I kind of got a I got a little bit of a millennial breakup the other day where I logged on to Netflix and I was and I and my password had been removed. What? No, well, because it wasn't my Netflix, <gasps> and so I got millennial. I got the millennial breakup. Where was oh like, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're disinvited to use my Netflix for free. Oh, the millennial. Uh, yeah. Oh, you got you got. Oh, 
Yeah. Somebody, oh boy. So you, so you turn on your computer and you're like, oh, I think I'm going to watch Day of the Condor again for the 40th time. Uh. And then you get that Netflix uh, screen that's like, would you like to join Netflix? Yep. You're like, what? 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 No, no, no. And you put your, put your, what had, what had for the last several years been your password, which was yeah. your password, was someone else's. And all of a sudden it doesn't work. The Netflix returns zero results. Uh, 404. 404, yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck, I've been. I'm so sorry. It's like, you know, no more Netflix and chill for me. Mm-hmm. But so I do remember a day, those Halcyon days, when, uh, when, yeah, you could scroll for days and days. But you were about to say something about the news. Well, no, no, I feel, I feel like I'm, you know, being showy or something. Oh, you're like you're rubbing it in. Right? <laughs> well, you know, I, I just want to mention this because I, I, somebody told me this factoid, which is an interesting, empirically interesting factoid, but I'm finding it immensely interesting. I kind of can't stop thinking about it. I was saying to somebody how um, I, I was introduced, there's this uh, English comedian, uh, uh, as they say, called Stuart Lee. And yeah. Stuart Lee is a, is a, has in the past like two months become like my... I'm obsessed with this guy. I just, I want, I want to see everything this guy's ever done. And it all started with turning on the Netflix and I flipped past this thing I'd never seen and never heard of. It says Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle. And you know how the little stars, stars work, right? Yeah. You got the red stars, you know, it's nice to see three stars, four stars. You're thinking this is really good. This thing is just a sliver shy of five stars. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's, I, I, yeah, you know, this sounds like the kind of thing I would like if, if the average rating for this it's just five under stars. five stars. I should watch this. Yeah. <clears throat> and I did, and I loved it. And then I, I don't know if this is true, and I'm sure I'll hear about it now. I'm reliably informed that that is their estimation of about what you would like give it. it. Right. The algorithm knows you. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, and maybe it is. But for some reason now, I kind of can't stop thinking about it. Right. Because it's, it's infinitely fascinating to me, like, how... They're guessing, and like, so then I rated, and that's going to change future mm-hmm. things, but they don't mm-hmm. tell you that. It doesn't say, you know, it used to be back in the day, uh, even back in the DVD days, it would say like, okay, four stars, or like when they say like, oh, here's stuff we think you'll like, and it would even show you what they think you would rate it. But mm-hmm. I don't know at what point they, if, the, if it is true that they changed that over, but that's a very interesting technology. Somebody's watching you, and you get no privacy. Uh, well, this is the thing. There is, we've talked about this before, but it's becoming more and more true all the time. There is no empirical truth anymore, Merlin. There is are that no, right? There are no four stars. That's what they told us in the 80s. They just didn't have a proof for it. There's no empirical truth. There is only conditional subjective truth. And so there, four stars doesn't exist. There's only now four stars for you. Mm. And I think Yelp mm. is the last place where four stars Yelp and Pitchfork are the last place where four stars are uh, are still like some kind of. I guess Yelp is four stars that are collected from from uh, ten thousand people that you would not like to be stuck on an elevator with, and Pitchfork is still some dumb kids in a room telling you what things are good. But yeah, everything pitch, else, Pitchfork's. I don't know. I, I don't read it much anymore. But around the time of the Travis Morrison uh, debacle, it really started to feel like it's somebody who really wants to impress their older brother. Yeah. Even though they didn't really listen to the album. I had a Travis Morrison conversation the other day. That was a heartbreak. Well, it was, but well, that but, still sticks in the craw up there in Seattle, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but now I feel like Travis Morrison's Travis Stan record, the famous 0.0 from Pitchfork, is becoming a thing like where were you when Kennedy was killed Mm -hmm. among a certain group of people who followed indie rock religiously. Hmm. And and so it's it's 
it's a thing where like how how many people were at the Velvet Underground concert uh, in 1966? Not very many people, but then over the years, the people that claim to have been there, yeah, grow and grow until it's a, it would have been a it would have been a fifty thousand person concert. And I think only that's, only a thousand people ever bought their first album, but they all misquoted Brian Eno. That's right. That's exactly that's exactly what I was trying to say. But the, I, the Velvet Underground is going to make the nineteen sixties <laughs> look like the nineteen thirties. Yeah, that's right. That's right. except the nineteen thirties are going to make the Velvet the, Underground look like <laughs> Stan Kenton. <clears throat> so, uh, in, but, in the sense, in the sense of for the Pitchfork angle or the Travis Morrison angle, it's become. I feel uh, like more and more now. I'm meeting strangers. This yeah. is the thing when the, when Travis Stan came out, the number of people that were directly affected by that rating started at Travis himself and emanated out to <laughs> Josh his, and Emily <laughs> to his his label mates, right? The right. people that were putting out that album and counting on it to to be transformative. And then to all the fans of the dismemberment plan and all of the, the you know the larger circle of people who were who actually bought and listened to that record and well, thought, we're, and we're and with Travis Morrison and the dismemberment plan were like one of those rare bands where like they were really good <laughs> and they were critically acclaimed whatever and, and everybody liked them and the people seemed pretty cool like it was yeah. one of those like it was one of those like I don't know. Like Grand Slam kind of things. And when that right. came along, it was like Indie Rock 911. The drummer wore fingerless gloves. There were a lot of things about them that stood out. And anyway, people would dance. People would dance at their shows. They played they dance, dance music. They would dance. Their shows were so crazy. But now I'm meeting people in airports that are using Travistan as their calling card. Hmm. Like, oh, you know. Hey, nice to meet you. Like they'll 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 be talking to me, right? And they're like, "I know who you are. You're John Roderick and Travis Dan. Am I right?" And then I'll be like, "What? What are we Whoa. talking about?" And they're like, "You know, Travis Dan. Like I'm on your side. I'm on your team because I also thought that that was a tragedy." And it's like, "Whoa. I'm having this conversation more and more often now, and I feel like I feel like it is becoming emblematic of a time, of a moment where the critics who formerly were our friends are now our enemies um, and and locating us in a time and space, 2006 or whenever, like – it's it's uh it's becoming the it's becoming the velvet underground of our time. Wow. Travis Dan is the indie rock record that is going to make the 60s look like the 20s. <laughs> so I so I don't know what to make of that, right? Um but but you cannot you cannot pick your cultural markers in real time. It only happens I think retroactively. There are a lot of things where you thought Oh, this is the thing that's going to be remembered, right? This is the Rilo Kylie album that's going to—that's the tentpole that's holding up this whole era. Yeah, and then it turns out, no, it's the—it's Travis Dan is the tentpole. So huh. I don't know. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Well, I got a lot to think put about. That, a lot of, put that in your vape. And put that in your vape and vape it. Yeah. Do you um? Do you do you for do you forgive him for eating your chili, Travis? You know, Travis is a magical creature that he, I he ate never, a lot of your chili right he just didn't well, even ask it's his bandmates though. oh right the guy with the big head he looks like he'd eat some chili yeah and i think what i think the travis's magical feature was that he came in and he was like you know to to my bandmates 
uh, we are here in the land of plenty. Go ahead and forage for your food. <laughs> the- Once again. <laughs> Give us the oil. Do not become addicted to canned chili. <laughs> uh, and so, so, and then he just traipsed off into the garden to eat dandelions or whatever it was that he was doing. But it was the and my my protest was that these bandmates who had never acknowledged me, right? They had never even nodded at me or looked at me. Now suddenly we're going through my cupboards and like, look, I found a can of of uh, of sliced uh, pineapple, and I'm like, hold on. You got to at you least know, you know I'm here, right? Yeah, you got to at least say hi to me as you as you troop into my house before you're going through my, like in my office, Merlin. There is a space. There's a space in my office. There so there was a guy on my floor that had a big photo studio, and you know, and, and legitimately making making some form of art, even if it's commercial photography, right? He's using it as an artistic space. And then at a certain point, he got the entrepreneurship bug, and he decided that he was going to expand his operation to making herbal teas. Hmm. And there was a space on our floor that was available, and this guy had a very large space, and he obviously was well-funded either by, his, by the, the uh, profits of his own output, or maybe he was funded offshore. Maybe some angel investors or some, uh, some venture capitalists had, or his parents had funded his operation. Mm-hmm. But so he took over one of these spaces and started making herbal teas there. Wow. So all of a sudden on the floor of the place where everyone else is working in encaustics, there is this constant sort of sickly sweet smell of teas being manufactured. And I don't know how that's all going down. But, but then not only are they exporting these dry teas – but they are making wet tea in there and putting them in giant tea canisters. Is this is that up to code? Well, I don't know. I don't. Think I don't think is. you can be in a building full of podcasting and caustics and start making herbal teas. I don't. I don't want to be didactic, but I, I don't think that's that's not cool. No, it's not. I don't think it is. That doesn't seem hygienic. Well, or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things about this story I'm about to tell that don't seem hygienic. But they yeah. are. Then they're then they're taking these giant sort of torpedo shaped. Uh, canisters of wet tea and they're schlepping them down the elevator into, I kid you not, a former Google bus. Like they have three vehicles. They have a former Google bus. They have a FedEx truck where they've stripped all the, uh, they've stripped all the writing off of it, but you can still see the shadow. And then they have like a, they have a commuter bus, like an airport commuter bus. And they're filling these things up with these teas and these Buses are taking all the good parking spots, filling them up with these teas, and off they go. I don't know. I don't know who buys, who has a party where they're like, let's get three or four canisters of wet tea in here uh-huh. that are different herbalities. And it's like I don't know what this business is, but any uh, anyway, all of a sudden the this well, place and, is, and like let's just say it's 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 on the one hand it does seem kind of like a front, but that's a lot of work for a front. They must have somebody who wants wet tea. Somebody's out there drinking wet tea, and I don't they know. They got a live I, one, yeah. It, it might be all these places that are that have like Fruit Loops in a giant hopper, and then also wet teas. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but so this place then started to employ people because they're doing a booming business here, and so they're hiring people. Now these are this is the next level, the next uh, the next layer of people that are in and out of my art building. 
These are not artists. Or if they are artists, they call themselves tea artists. But they are just people working at the tea plant. And they are universally in their 20s. They have their thin people. And they have man buns. Oh, my God. So there's five or six guys with man buns all of a sudden schlepping tea in and out of this place. And to the man, they do not look at you when they pass you in the hall. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds like, um, what? This sounds like Hydra or something. It's like, it's kind of like hipster Hydra. There's something very, very uncool about it. Yeah, no, that doesn't seem right. This is a building. Whatever happened to saying to give, whatever happened to the nod? Nod. Whatever happened to the nod? I'm not saying you got to sit. I don't. I don't like talking to people. Yep. Like whatever. Whatever happened to just acknowledging? A I, millisecond. I, I, I'm a big acknowledger. I believe in acknowledging. Got to acknowledge it. It's a millisecond of eye contact. Not enough to communicate anything except hello, I see you, and then a nod. Crows, friendly. cops, man buns, whatever it is. Come on, people, give give me give me the nod. Got to get the nod. And and this building is characterized by long, long hallways, right? So you come out of the bathroom. Oh, no, that's my you're, nightmare. You're walking down this long hallway, and here comes a man bun pushing a fucking cart full of wet tea. And you're and I'm looking at him the entire time, and I'm like, "You uh-huh. fucking acknowledge me, you son of a bitch!" And so I've started as they're walking, as they as they get right next to me, these really thin guys with man buns. I'm like, "Hello," and you know, like, not so loud that it's super aggressive, like not "Hello," <laughs> but like "Hello," and but but with no advance warning, just like right when they are one foot from me. It's happened enough. That that that's a reference. It's a and reference fucking, to how they don't do it. Yeah, I'm fucking mad at them now. I'm mad at the whole operation. See, my, mine is uh, mine is great. Thanks. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I'm 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 one step from that. Yeah. Like you know, nice of you to ask. Uh, and so so I'm I'm pouring a ton of bad vibes into this tea room, hoping that it goes into the tea. And then oh, they're yeah. schlepping wet tea out there, and it's full of bad vibes. It's like a Latin American movie where, where cooking cooking makes things explode, right? Isn't I, there, aren't there movies? Aren't there movies where like depending on how oh she's mad, so the food's going to make everybody or or now everybody wants to have intercourse because she made her tortillas. Like you're oh, going to send those see, bad vibes into the wet tea. This is like a, a, a los ameros peros. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. That's that's dogs. That's a dogs in love. So dogs means? in love, except the one dog kills all the dogs. Oh, oh no. spoiler alert! No es bueno. Uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, right. The tortillas are full of love, and it makes everybody have sex, and then there's 100 years of solitude. Yep, yep, yep. Discovering this ice. Is, this is a situation where I'm filling this tea with as much bad vibe as I can. So good, the, good. So that the people out there with the uh, the Fruit Loop hoppers are like, oh, man, I'm not ordering this tea anymore. It's full of bad vibes. And then the business collapses, and the guy has to go back to making photography for a living. And all these man buns are then, like, spurted out into the world like spores Mm-hmm. To create their bad vibes, their like shitty no nod culture, they can take that into the streets and see how well it works, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, like, no, no. I like the way you put the shitty no nod culture. That that is a shitty no nod culture. Yeah, if you have a no nod culture, then like take it back to the farm or whatever. Don't you know? Like if you're I mean, out not, of the it's farm, not like you're it's not like you're like a Mexican drug lord. You know no. what I mean? You won't. You fucking you went to UW. Relax. Yeah, or you didn't even get into UW. No, right? no. You, these are people that are that are used to being out in a place where you, I guess you don't nod at the cows. They or, might have gone to community vaping college. 
And I don't, they're not even vapors because they seem by their thinness. It's not like vegans. By their work in the tea community, that's exactly what I think. I think mm-hmm. they are vegans. And I think, you know, and the, the thing is the man bun, the man bun, it arrived. We all mocked it mercilessly. And then it persisted. And then there was that, there was that moment where everybody was like, well, you know, there was the, there was the blowback where people were like, stop mocking man buns. We get it. We get it. All right. Now, you know, and then an attempt to make man buns, uh, to, to, to make them serious uh-huh. Because they have they've persisted they've they have they've lasted through our scorn, and so now we're meant to we're now we're meant to be like oh okay I guess you know I guess I'm the dummy for mocking somebody else's style I guess I'm I guess I'm the one that's not you're uh, the real monster yeah I'm the one that's not inclusive enough but in reality no they are still dumb and mockable they are you know like i like i said the other day there are too many top knots and not enough samurai mm. you cannot <laughs> you you cannot just fucking wear a top knot it is cultural appropriation it oh, symbolizes boy. something which is samurai oh i like the way you took that one that's good you know what i mean like yes. i'm not the one that's insensitive you are insensitive to samurai yeah so fuck you with your top knot it's no good and if top knot is symbolic of no knot culture then I say burn it all to the ground, right? You can't, you're not going to be in my art space Mm-mm. where I was formerly making encaustic podcasts. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't cost anything to nod. To nod. And I don't understand. I do not get, and this is the thing, this is the, what I feel like is a component of the, sh- of the shyness arms race. <laughs> right? And this is, this would include things like the medium post on uh, how to handle the introvert in your life. Yeah, that stuff where it's like, oh no, you're not, you're not an introvert. I'm an introvert. Oh, see, you guys. Yeah, I'm so guys. shy that I can't exist in the world, and that is a, that is like not a handicap. It's a handicapable, mm. and you're not allowed to scorn me for because nodding at you takes so much of my life force that I collapse into a sobbing heap. Yeah. So now you have to live in a world where people don't nod and smile at you a common courtesy, a basic human interaction, because it impedes my ability to be as shy as I think I am. Uh, you need to get back in there. You need to walk in there and you say, look, what, what exactly the fuck is going on in here? Yeah. You, you need to go into the wet tea house and just, just part the man buns and get in there and say, who's in charge of this joint and what exactly the fuck is going on here? Okay, so here's what happened mm-hmm. last week. I'm sitting in my podcast space. I'm getting ready to record some vocals on this uh, on these vocal tracks that I'm working on, which is a whole separate conversation. This is my private, my normal private time in the art studio, right? All the people that are there during the day go home, and then the only people that are there at night are people working in in the encaustic arts. And so I can sing in my little wing, and there's nobody else there. No, 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 you're not bothering anyone and nobody's randomness is getting on your track. That's right. That's right. There's nobody over there using a power tool. And I, more importantly, I'm not bothering anybody. If you come into the, the space at 9 p.m. and you hear somebody singing, you recognize that you are the one who is arriving late. You are the interloper. Someone's there making music and that's their right. Whereas if I'm singing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you're sitting at your computer doing graphic arts... You, you, it's within your rights to come over and knock on the door and say, seriously, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But so I'm in there, I'm getting ready to lay down some vocal tracks. And then all of a sudden 
I hear a band practicing. Oh, dear. And this space is very much like no band practice. I I uh, I use my space to make music, but it is not a band practice. It is, is that me... understood, John? As a, as a, the terms of uh, of, of being there, it's not. This is not a, like a storage shed type situation. That's one of the things they say right when you walk in. Like no band practice. Okay. And so what I'm what I realize is I get I I go down the hall, put my ear to the door, and I realize that this is a situation where the man buns have now colonize this space within the tea operation where they have no connection to any of the art people there. They are now, they're two, they're two layers of being a tenant away from ever having spoken to anybody involved in the building. Uh-huh. And someone at the tea joint has said either, yes, you can band practice here. Or what I really suspect is one of the man buns has a key and he's like, you know what? There's nobody in. There's nobody down there after nine. Uh, we it's just an off the books kind of operation. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not somebody who's going to pound on the door during a band practice, even if it's one that I am pouring scorn uh, through the door. Did you get a sense of what, what kind of music? I, I know it's not relevant necessarily, but did you get a sense of what kind of music they're playing? It just it felt like there the, well, there was a person in there that could actually play the guitar. I was impressed. Was it more by jammy that. or like Trans Am? Like what what? No, no, it actually kind of felt like an um, amalgam of uh, of 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 some sort of, you know, hard rock plus uh Lumineers style stomp folk. Hmm. You know, it's one of these things where nobody has any nobody has any jumping off point, so it's just a mishmash. Is mish-mash that one of, those, of, one of those modern songs where everyone uh kind of does a chanty thing on it? Yeah, they all say like, hey. Oh, 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 kind of thing. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Oh. Oh, hey. the Lumineers. Stop. Okay, I, I was thinking of something else. It's all it's all uh, like a post Mumford music. Oh dear, right? It's pre Mumford and post Mumford. Yeah, and I think really it was the it was that band from Canada, from Montreal, that started it all. The one uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, David Byrne and David Bowie, all the Davids. Oh, was that Vampire Weekend? Uh, no, that no. they came after. Uh, then they had a different style. No, the one, <laughs> not really, not really up on music. The, the one from uh, the one from yeah. ben, uh, from Montreal where they were waving flags on stage and somebody had a typewriter and from the vampire. And, uh, oh no, you, I know the, I know who you mean. The uh, I know who you mean. The uh, yeah, well, they, they play drums on their heads. Yeah, and somebody's got a horn, it's, and somebody else has a horn, and they're uh, stomp. Arcade fire. Arcade fire. Yeah, and they do a lot of that. Oh, 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 oh stomp, stomp, typewriter, yeah. typewriter, honk. <laughs> And, and, then, uh, and David Byrne comes out and is like, I like this. Yeah. And everybody goes, I'll buy it. You know, it's like LCD sound system where, where there's a collective uh, feeling like this is the thing. Yes. And then everybody buys it and says and celebrates it. People said that about and, Falco. Right? Yeah. But that, that's right. So Arcade Fire is the Falco of- Arcade uh, Fire is going to make Falco look like the Velvet Stringer Underground. Hill. Yeah. Sure. Uh, did I ever tell you that I was on tour in Canada with uh, opening with uh, opening for the tour of Not a Surf and Death Cab for Cutie? And after the show, some uh, French Canadians came up and handed me a CDR and said, "We really loved your show." And I can't even do a French accent anymore. It's been so long since I've been out of the United States. I can't, I can't even do any of my accents. Bro. Yeah. 
We love the show. And they handed me the CDR, and it was the Arcade Fire. Oh, come on. Really? And, yeah. And, I'm, and, and then uh, two years later, they're the biggest band in the world. Yeah. And I was like, I had that feeling of uh, proximity to success. Where I was like, oh. Yeah, you're Rory, Rory, you're Rory, you're Rory Storm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Rory, <laughs> I don't know if these kids are going to catch on. <laughs> if I, yeah, the, 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 this is the problem when you are that proximate to success, right? If you were, mm-hmm. if you were like Ev Williams' uh, 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 college roommate, yeah. it's not like it matters, right? You can't say, oh, you're going to be successful, and so I want to be your wingman or something. Like, I yeah. couldn't have... I couldn't have in that moment said, Arcade Fire, I would like to invest my current uh, net worth, which is uh, 40 Long Winters t-shirts and a box of kazoos. I would like to get in early yeah. and, and buy, buy 30% of your business for this uh, nominal fee, right? Like the, like the graffiti artist at the Facebook campus that ended up being worth $200 million because they gave him... 0.1% of the company instead of paying him $5,000 to, to graffiti their, their office. Mm. You couldn't, I couldn't do that with the arcade fire and say, here's a box of long winter's t-shirts that you yeah. don't want or need. But now I own 30% of your operation. People tried to do that to me back in the day. Like I took some band photos for you. And so uh, rather than get paid the $500 that it cost, I would like 20% of the Western state hurricanes. That's complicated. That's a complicated arrangement. It was very complicated. Anyway, so that, it's all post Arcade Fire, post Mumford and Sons, mm-hmm. Stomp Rock, and Stomp I'm hearing Rock. this through the door of the tea parlor. And let me tell you, Merlin, I sent some emails. <gasps> oh, did you go right back to your uh, to your garret and send some emails? That's right. I went. I went all the way to the top. You closed out Logic. A, you just you shut it all down. Back it up. Time to write some emails. That's right. I sent. I sent a mayor. I sent a letter to the mayor's office. I sent a letter to the to the governor. I sent a letter to Elon Musk, and I said, "This will not stand." CC Elon Musk say, "This will not stand." I, you know, I have suffered through these non-nodding mad buns uh, enough. I want this whole operation shut down. I want all these people out of the building, and it's going to be rats leaving a sinking ship. And I don't know where they're going to go. And I, I bet care. they won't even say goodbye, John. I, they won't say goodbye. They won't give you a nod on the way out. I I will say as I'm walking right past them, I'll turn and I'll say farewell. I said good day, sir. Good day, sir. How did uh, Elon Musk or the mayor get back to you? No, well the mayor, the mayor right now has complicated feelings about me, mm. and Elon Musk never re- replies to any of my emails. Yeah, uh, and that you know that feels like that feels like an insult because I feel like I should own twenty percent of what he does. Just based on the number of times I've mentioned him on this podcast. That's a good point. I, you know, there's a lot about this that doesn't exactly add up. I mean, there's the part that adds up. But first of all, like making tea. I don't know. Is that... Yeah, you, think yeah. it's, you think it's a straight up business? You think it's a weed thing? You'd smell no, it was a weed no. thing. No, the thing is weed's not illegal anymore in Seattle, so you don't have to mask it. Oh, now you're going to make tea. Yeah. yeah, you can just manufacture weed all day and just be like, ha ha. But uh, but no, I feel like I feel like people are trying to like the photography guy. He's not satisfied. People just aren't satisfied, right? So he's like, I've got to start. A, I've got to start a separate operation. It's going to be this tea company. It's going to be like the man, Cougar man, Mountain, man, bun, uh, man bun wet tea. Yeah, and then it's going to be in Whole Foods all around America. 
Here's the thing that's this whole that's hanging me up a little bit, and uh, I just know this mostly from watching TV and 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 seeing things around town. But you know, you got the whole like artisanal butcher thing, you got the small batch thing, right? You got the whole like guys who suddenly grew beards and started wearing plaid thing. I know this is already like a five or even ten year old trend, but that's a thing. And it's you know clearly there's this whole like locally sourced this, locally sourced that. The thing is though, the thing that keeps a lot of those things going is that there's a huge somewhere between performative and transparent component to it. So on the one hand, there's the transparency of, no, I can tell you for sure that this pig came from down the block or that I know this is fair trade, you know, uh, sparkling water or whatever. But so there's that, there's that transparency part of it. Right. But then there's also the performative part of it where we want you to see us making, we want to give tours of where we make the whiskey. We want you to come in and be able to take classes on how to butcher a pig. There's a whole big part of this. What we don't want is some kind of, you know, for the sake of uh, argument, like a a place that makes wet tea in an encaustic painting factory. That would be an unusual way to make an artisanal tea. Oh, you're so right. Why aren't they? Why aren't there tours? Why? Why is this? Why are there bands practicing here? This feels like a jam up. Well, see, that's the thing. They could be. They could be in a storefront. They could be selling brass tea pipes. Um, <laughs> and like the man buns could all be be behind a counter with, and there'd be flames <laughs> and stuff. They don't acknowledge, but they can't buy because they won't acknowledge anyone. <laughs> well, but they wouldn't have to. They could just. They could hire one personable person oh, to stand at right. the front. Be like, welcome to the tea part. Welcome to the tea shoppy. Uh, and uh, look behind me as as the uh, man buns all work the forge. They're, they're like hipster oompa loompas. They don't. The talking is not their strong suit. They might sing a little bit when somebody dies, but apart yeah. from that, they're mostly just there to like tend to the pipes. Exactly. Somebody somebody gets uh, zooped up into a television set. And the man buns all go, doom, doom, tea, bo, wet tea, wet tea. Where did you go? Yeah. I I feel like that's a, it is a missed opportunity, and I don't. Maybe it is that the San Franciscization of Seattle hasn't been isn't complete yet. I think of it as a you know obviously the, the joke still being like a Portland thing. Well, People take yeah. that super seriously, and but so but the, the weird part is so there's the one thing of like okay let's add value by doing something something repackaging tea. There's that part, but then the whole like they're making like tubs of tea to sell somewhere yeah. is weird. The whole the whole operation stinks, but I can't find anything about it that's illegal except for the band practice. Yeah, I feel like the I feel what's illegal about it is that it's that it's aesthetically illegal. It's aesthetic. It's aesthetically. If they would uh, just nod, it's how hard is it to nod? If they nodded, maybe I'd be their best friend. Maybe I would buy a fucking jug of tea a week. Mm-hmm. You know, a jug of tea a week. Jug that tea could a be week. their slogan. Oh, see, that's good. They they could use that, but they're never even going to get to hear that because they won't even acknowledge you. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend in San Francisco who uh, who is co-owner of a restaurant. Uh, it's a brew pub. Sorry, brew pub. Mm-hmm. And the brew pub's different from a gastro pub? This is a, yeah, well, it, absolutely, because this is a brew pub where they also give lessons mm-hmm. in home brewing. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a brew resource. Mm-hmm. Brew resource pub. Brew resource. And when they... When they were talking about opening this thing, here's this this is the modern day, right? They put up a Kickstarter or some kind of crowdfunding thing, and they sent it out to the neighborhood and they said, Don't you want a brew pub in your neighborhood? Mm-hmm. You guys right now living in this neighborhood without a brew pub? Who's with me? Who's with me? And they raised the money to open the brew college, the brew pub college, through crowdfunding around the neighborhood. 
So it's like, but it's but the, it's the the neighborhood. That's such a different way of handling it. My yeah. goodness, the neighborhood doesn't directly profit from it. They profit from it by having now an interesting thing in their neighborhood. But it's this idea of like collectively, why don't we open collectively? Why don't you help us open this thing that will profit for us? But you will you'll reap the benefits of having your neighborhood smell like cooked tomatoes or whatever that smell is when beer is brewing that smells like tomato soup. Oh, right. Like yeah, breweries, a beer brewery has a very distinctive, I think it must be hops. It's the hops. It's a that high t- tangy smell. I remember going to Bush Gardens as a kid. I mean, you never forget that smell. Yeah. If it were me and I got a, and I got a flyer under my door that said, go to our Kickstarter and help us fund our brew pub in your neighborhood, I would start an alternate Kickstarter, send me the money to keep this brew pub from happening because I don't like the smell of tomatoes. I call it a, I call it a Kickstomper. It a should kick be a way, a kickstomper. It's a way where you go in and you basically pay to have something not happen. A kickstomper sounds like how uh, Mumford and Sons fu- funded their first. Oh, uh, 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 yeah, oh, it's like um, <laughs> exactly. Boom, 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 boom. One and four, one and four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kickstomp it, kickstomp it, kickstomp the shit out of that. Make it, make it viral. I don't want. I don't. The thing is, is there anything worse than? Home brewers, and I know I'm going to get a lot of letters now mm-hmm. because I feel like there are a lot of beardos listening to this program that are also making growlers full of their own beer, mm, making growlers. But when yeah. you when you stand around in a group of home brewers, it's like it's like it's like if a bunch of farmers from the 30s were on a space station. The the level of a bunch of farmers in a in a small cafe in a town of twenty five hundred people, the, the the that level of conversation, but on a spaceship, hmm. that's what I feel like being in a group of home brewers is like, because it's both very retro, but all and and also very unnecessary, mm-hmm. very specialized. But transported to a world in which future shock is a big component of it, right? We are making our own homebrew now for some reason because of this, because we have created an alternate future. We have gone back in time and we have created a world in which cowboys had rocket ships Uh because of steampunk. And now we're living in a world where... We don't need to buy beer because we can pay 40 times as much to make it ourselves. We can, sp- we can spend 40 times as much to have the inconvenience of making it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I'm on a spaceship made out of steam tubes. And I don't have en- – there's no point of entry for me. I did not want – I did not want cowboy brass rockets. I do not want homemade beer. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live in a future where the present was homemade beer and artisanal teas because what, I am, what I'm imagining is that it's going to create a future where the 2040s mm-hmm. are going to make the 2010s look like the 1860s that didn't happen. It's a lot to process. And I'm still trying to figure it out too. Mm-hmm. I live in an exurb. Yeah. I'm waiting for the fr- first group of engineers to come out here and take over our, our community center. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'll be there celebrating my new squid overlords. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
but I'm trying to figure out how I can get 20% of the company. Yeah. I think you got you got to take a whole party down there. You got you got to take a group down there. Can you get common cause with anybody else in the building who doesn't like these uh, T-boners? Well, they're artists, right? So they're all yeah. suffering from a case of the shies. Yeah. Nobody wants any confrontation. And that's why I sent those emails instead of pounding on the door and saying, "Who the fuck are you?" Yep. Yep. And waving a copy of my rental agreement. <laughs> You know, I don't want to be that guy. No. Because everybody else is in their space, you know, like like painting with a screwdriver. And nobody wants any problem with anybody, let, let alone a bunch of skinny man buns. Uh -huh. But uh, but there should be, a, there should be a, mo a, a movement. And maybe, you know, maybe I'll have a march with the mayor at the head of it. Elon Musk is there on a hoverboard. And we're marching through the streets saying... Take your reprehensible culture out to the exurbs. You could also uh, take what you learned from being so so steeped in hip hop culture. You bring your crew, like you, you bring all of your like minded people, right? Uh -huh. You bring your posse, and we'll have a dance off. That's exactly it. <laughs>